and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast on the IMDb's top 250 movies. We're coming to you live from the Blanket Fort. As always, I am your host, that British actor. You you know you recognize him, but you can't quite pick out his name. He was on that that show and in that thing. Uh, Tyler Hannon, I think that's it. Uh, with me is Kayla St. Ange, the vivacious fixin of volatile verbosity and a big fan of Velcro. <laughs> hey. How's it going, Kayla? I feel like I always laugh whenever you introduce me. That's because but... I'm funny. Hilarious. And with us today, it's a real treat. We have the actual true voice of London, Phil Meyer. Thank you. Thank you. How's it going, Phil? Oh, it's going good. Uh, so, like, when you're when you're talking to the people of London and you're saying all your stuff, where do you get your motivation? Like, where what drives you to say these great things? What drives me? What yeah. drives me? Well, currently, currently, what's driving me is the new Grimes album, Art Angels. Like, seriously, I cannot stop listening to it. And that's what I've been preaching. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I'm gonna throw a plug in for that on this episode. Oh, I couldn't uh, not. <laughs> you should be listening to it, like one hundred percent. After this podcast, I mean, after like, of course, yeah, like just like get through, like just hang out with us for a bit, and then go listen to Grimes. We'll be listening to Grimes most likely, and we'll have a little jam sesh. But I mean, besides besides Grimes, Phil, what have what have you been thinking about? Have there been any possibly possibly movies that you've been uh, thinking on lately? Uh, movies. Well, let's start with the good. How about? Oh, I like good things. So, um, the, the good things in. I woke up the other night, the other day, and logged on the internet and was like, "Hey, people are talking about a new Star Wars trailer." What? Yeah, I and saw so something about that. It was yeah, I wasn't expecting it. And it blew my mind because I thought we had the final trailer, except for like TV spots and stuff. And it turns out Japan got a new one. And it's incredible. A whole bunch of new footage. And I just blew me away. I have, I completely wrote off Star Wars back, you know, when Revenge of the Sith was it came out. And I was just like, I am not excited for these anymore. I don't think I'll ever be excited for another Star Wars property. And then Force Awakens happened. And I was like, oh, good. They're going to ruin this, too. <laughs> and then the trailer came out, and seriously, I am so on board. I am eight years old watching the original trilogy on VHS again. I am just, I'm all about it. I I cannot get over it. See, Kayla and I aren't huge Star Wars fans. Which... I would describe myself as literally the biggest Grinch about Star Wars in the entire world. Sorry, everybody. I just <laughs> do not have the same passion as everyone else like literally everyone else on the planet but i do enjoy the original trilogy and i when they announced the cast for this i was like damn it damn it they made me care about star wars because i love john boyega i Mm -hmm. love oscar isaac adam driver is great i am not as acquainted with daisy ridley but she's cool too and jj abrams has his faults, but also has created a number of great sci-fi things. I'm like, damn, yes. you know, they made me care about Star Wars. And then I watched the trailers, I'm like, oh, damn, I am invested in this. They got me. Oh, yeah. They got me. I care about Star Wars. I Jesus actually Christ. haven't watched any of the trailers yet, specifically because of my general distaste for Star Wars. And 
I'm afraid of this reaction. <laughs> so it was so fun having the podcast, and now they're gonna tear it down. The Star Wars nerds are gonna come tear us down. They're gonna I take. Didn't... They're gonna take the blankets off the fort. They're gonna take down <laughs> Look, the blanket. I fort. have mentioned to Monica that I don't really like Star Wars, and if Monica can still love me after that, anyone could still love our podcast. I mean, I gotta tell you, we're a little distance now. Just, <laughs> you knew this, though. Just, I, yeah, but I figured you were joking, but you seem serious. No, I'm serious. No, it's like, I'm sorry. She's committing it to record. I can't believe it. I have actually been very vocal about my general, like, eh, feelings on Star Wars. I mostly just try to keep it to myself because I like to not actively make people sad or angry over things yeah. that are really just a matter of opinion. True. So... I don't know. That's a discussion we can have when we do the actual Star Wars episodes. But I will, I'll tell you this. I will watch the trailers and we will reconvene on the next episode and I will tell you how I feel about the trailers. You know what you should really do? What? Is what I did earlier this year and marathon all six movies in a row See, okay. in one day. I when thought I you was... wanted her to like Star Wars. Why would you do that? That's when true. Was... Don't do that. I hated it. <laughs> When I was in high school, I watched all the Star Wars movies because I very specifically was like, this is a milestone in film history that I cannot miss. Mm -hmm. And then I finished watching all the Star Wars movies. Yeah. And was different as a person. (laughs) But not in the way most people are different. (laughs) Yeah, not in the same way. (laughs) Really, though, and this is kind of branching off, but this is an opinion of mine. There are really only two good Star Wars movies. Like, honestly, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Return of the Jedi is pushing it. And the origi- the new trilogy is just like I can't I can't stand them like I, I cannot watch them. <laughs> I can't wait to dive into people's opinions about the original trilogy because I thought they just liked all of them. But like diving in more, I realized that there's much more nuance with that because there was mm-hmm. one guy who directed a Star Wars movie who wasn't was like the backup plan basically. Yeah, that they're like there's a one of the movies people don't like. I'm I'm, I'm interested oh, yeah. to get into that. But we can't do that today because I I am totally unprepared for that. I could just be like, yo, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, this is going to be rad as hell. Yeah, John Boyega being cast in – had completely sold me from the start. I'm like, okay, I'm interested now because I loved him in Attack the Block. Yes. Oh, so good. And just seeing each trailer roll out with more and more footage and like more and more like subtle – nudges to the big star wars audience like that's just so awesome they've all been really good trailers too mm-hmm. yeah it's it's definitely how you put together a, a trailer phil i understand there was another trailer that also had you excited there is so this past weekend was blizzcon the uh big convention that blizzard studios holds every year to announce just their games and stuff that they're doing and it was pretty awesome because this was the first look at a World of Warcraft. Well, I guess it's just called Warcraft uh, trailer for the new movie that's been in the works for like four years now or something like that, that they've been working on it. And they finally got some footage to show us and actually are showing the whole wide world. And it looks incredible it's nuanced you have the bad guys who are the orcs who are actually like not bad guys they're just other guys that are fighting the humans who are also just other guys so there's no good bad it's done so well like as a 
avid Warcraft player. I've been playing Warcraft 3 since it came out. World of Warcraft for six, seven years now, I think. Since early Burning Crusade. I don't remember how long ago that was. And uh, I love the lore, and I love everything about it. And being able to see all this on a big screen is just awesome. I, and and they look it looks like they're doing it so perfectly because Blizzard has never stepped away and has always been right there next to them in screenplay, in filming, in everything. They have a team that is making sure that everything sticks to what is there in the lore. It's not going to branch off like Aragon or anything like that, which it's going to be perfect. And I think this will be the first good video game movie ever. But what about Assassin's Creed? <laughs> what about no. the Super Mario Brothers? <laughs> no. no. The, oh. the only other decent... Uh, the, the only other decent... Um, video game movie that I've seen is Super Prince Mar- of Persia. Oh, I was gonna and say it Super was, Mario Brothers. Oh no, oh, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, Prince of Persia, and even that was just shitty. But the best <laughs> video game movie to date is Edge of Tomorrow, which isn't even a video game movie. It's not a video just, game movie. No, but it's just restarting. You know, it's basically like playing a video game. You just keep doing the same thing over and over, learning. I will say, watching the Warcraft trailer was an interesting experience, as I have no... uh, I've never played Warcraft. I have only watched people play Warcraft for a total of maybe an hour in my life. I... The cast is... I know some of those names, but none of them interest me. And Mm. they've been working on the movie for what seems like forever. But the trailer... And the trailer, it's... it's, By necessity... By necessity, the movie has to be very CGI-driven. But uh, I enjoyed the trailer. It actually made me curious for this thing that I did not care about at all before. Mm -hmm. And while I wouldn't say that I myself care now, I am open to it. Because I I, I enjoy me some swords and sandals and stuff. And while this is not exactly that, it's close enough. Ben watched it at work the other day and was trying to get me to watch it. And I have like some pretty negative memories associated with having to spend hours of my life watching Trent and his friends play Warcraft <laughs> while I just was sitting there. So I have mixed <laughs> mixed feel. It costs money. Yeah, it does. 15 bucks a month for <laughs> So um, yeah, 15 bucks a month for 7 years. That was a big hole in my pocket. Yeah, I'm unsure. We can do math. Let's just do the math Let's right now. Hold on. Math. I'm going to Google it. I'm doing it. Hold oh, on. Calculator. Do Did you don't buy any extras? Did you buy any add-ons? I bought every single expansion. Oh, God. Caleb. And, well, I didn't buy the base game. 1260 That's just the $15 a month for just... seven years. How much were the extensions? <laughs> okay. So um, that's fifty. So you said 1250 1260 $1,260. $1,260. Um, plus... Uh, $60 for Burning Crusade, plus $60 for Wrath of the Lich King, plus $60 for Cata, plus $60 for Mist um, of Pandaria, plus $60 for many? I, I lost track of how many $60. It's okay. We don't have to go this far down and the road. And then add another tax. 60 not including tax, and then add another 60 on because I probably, uh, I think I bought a couple collector's editions in there, which was another like 20 or 30 per. And then... Add in all the race transfers and uh, character transfers and character renames and 
mounts about that I bought and so we're all looking the at like realm a transfer <laughs> probably looking at I could have paid a semester of college at five thousand dollars easily with that money so don't tell my mom <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm calling her as soon as we're uh, she'll I'm she'll sending hear. her the link to this actually so <laughs> she'll hear she already so knows she's, she's, she's gonna listen disturbance. yeah no. right no Phil I understand that there was one other adaptation we wanted to talk about. Another thing that you loved and just really appreciated its existence in your life. Let's talk about Jem. Uh, it yeah. hurts. <laughs> it hurts so much. Okay. So I saw Jem and the Holograms opening night, 7 o'clock on a Thursday, which was the earliest showing that my theater would uh, show. Alone, I'm assuming. Like, I went alone. alone in the entire... I, ex- I expected... A, a small group of people to be there. It was when I got in there, there were two girls, two teenage girls sitting up near the top. Um, I sat down in the center of the theater where like I normally do. And then a old man came in and then another old man came in. Gross. And that was it. <laughs> I, figured, I figured the old men were there because I would be like, like how I was there because they grew up, watching Gem and the Holograms. I don't think that's why the old men were there, but okay. It could have been. That was a nice benefit of the doubt that you gave to those old men. Well, (laughs) because you have to give that benefit of the doubt to me too then. No, I know you though. (laughs) But that, if you didn't. So, so I sit down and I start to watch the movie. And then the movie ends. And I have never been more disappointed in a movie in my life. Because I love Jem. And I thought that this movie was going to be watchable. <laughs> like I wasn't I wasn't expecting like anything ridiculously good. I wasn't expecting, you know, to be blown away, have this new cult hit. I was not expecting Josie and the Pussycats, let's put it that way, because Josie and the Pussycats is one of the best movies ever made. So I just like the the movie had like five different plot points and only two of which could have made like a good movie but they decided to follow all five and it's like they just when they were writing the screenplay they had all these ideas and they couldn't pick one to just stick with and it was infuriating because they're like you could tell uh, that there were rewrites and everything because they were jumping around and like there was one point where this guy has known Jem for a week and she's all sad and then he goes you'll still be the girl I met all those day all those uh all that time ago and I'm like it was a week <laughs> it was a week you can't she hasn't even changed like at, at, all that time ago all that all that week ago everything and, we've been through together <laughs> yeah yeah and like they all the all the band members got mad at her for like wanting to go solo and everything but it happened over the course of 2 hours that she made the decision and then they're just like you betrayed us and i'm like there wasn't enough time to be betrayed you've only been a band for what 3 4 5 days like <laughs> how, you're like they're playing sold out shows because she made one YouTube video. Can you imagine if the music industry happen. actually worked like that? Holy right? shit. Oh god. <laughs> but and and like I wanted to have fun and it just wasn't fun. The music was good. The the original score was really good. Like all the music they made for it, it tickled my fancy. But 
I just I was so let down. And um, what's her name? Aubrey Peoples, who played Jem or Jerica. Um, she did a great job. A- everyone did a pretty good job with with the acting. It was decent, but it just fell apart. And it was so frustrating. And like they they, they intercut over the like the exciting action scenes, like where they're sneaking around the the office and stuff trying to steal something back they're intercut by youtube videos like they actually play youtube videos in terrible 240p quality on a big screen over top of this movie that i'm trying to watch and i'm just like what are you doing like who made that decision you know i actually read about that and it was supposed to be like they were expecting the fans to talk about how they liked gem like the actual gem Mm-hmm. And they basically took advantage of all of them and were like, yeah, we'll totally take all of your feelings about Jem into consideration when writing the script for this movie. Yeah. And then and instead of doing that, they just put them in the movie. Yeah. And that was that was horrible because I'm watching this and I'm like, dude, they're all talking about Jem. That guy has Jem on in the back in the TV in his background. And then like they're just butchering this thing that is so good and pure and uh, I guess I just the thing that I don't understand about Gem and the Holograms, there's a really interesting story in mm-hmm. the actual lore of like the cartoon. Yeah. So I don't understand why instead of going with that completely valid, completely interesting thing and vamping that up to ten, why we ended up with YouTube tween sensation and friends. Yeah. Where did I, I, that come I, from? I don't know. I, I get you're trying to like pull in a new generation. Like they're tr- maybe maybe it was like a trying to avoid sort of like My Little Pony syndrome or something. Like they didn't want to bring in a bunch of weird guys who love this cartoon. But I'm like, so naturally what they did was make a bunch of weird fetishized like tween yeah, girls. I'm like, I'm like the difference Lamb between Rock. that is. The My Little Pony thing, that wasn't the fan base. That became the fan base because you made a good show and then you catered to them. With Jem, that was your fan base. I know a ton of guys who love Jem because that was just a good cartoon. And then you take this to try to avoid what you wouldn't have to be avoiding anyway. It's uh, It was just so frustrating. But the most frustrating part of the whole thing is that there was a little hint at the whole lore of the show and everything at the very end. They do. They. I'll spoil it because I. Who gives a shit? Nobody saw was, this movie. It was sequel? already pulled from theaters. It was already pulled from. Theaters. No, I know. Literally has three. It has a three star on IMDb, and I'm pretty sure, aside mm-hmm. from like you and those three people in the theater with you, the only people that saw this movie were critics. They made on the first week. They made $570 per screen, over 2,413 screens. <laughs> I remember reading after it's, the weekend was over, like, the article on that, and just, like, I honestly felt bad, because obviously oh, the people, I, yeah. like, in the movie cared about it to some extent and yeah. wanted it to be, like, a thing, but also... It just, they did uh, not do well. no. But, it did not do but, well as the understatement of the uh, century. You're oh, so yeah. kind. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm trying to be. But at the end, so the the after the credit stinger comes and it's the it's the horrible producer lady and she drives up to this like abandoned lot 
and she's like i thought i'd find you girls here and then these three girls are like talking and you realize then you're like oh shit that's the misfits which is the evil band that always goes up against gem in the show so you're like oh this is cool like i was freaking out with with one of the other guys that stayed in the theater and i'm like holy shit are you kidding me they're actually doing this now like after that abomination and then and then kesha walks out no uh-huh she's the lead of the misfits and i'm blanking on her name right now the the, the character's name um pizzazz pizzazz kesha plays pizzazz and she walks out and she's like we're gonna get gem and i'm like oh shit i'd have actually watched that movie and yeah, it would have been good because kesha's in it <laughs> kesha got one line she was in there for like a minute and i was so mad okay i was already pretty annoyed with just the existence of this movie but now i am flat out pissed. i also think uh-huh. you two have undersold how poorly this movie did this movie <laughs> and rock the cosma came out in the same week and they were the third and fourth worst major openings ever. Like, for Gem- major studio-wide oh, yeah. releases, they were the third oh, yeah. and fourth ever. Worst. Ever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we still cannot get a Girl with the Dragon Tattoo sequel. I don't want to talk about it. Everything hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is good. Anyway, moving Yeah, so they're on. doing a new uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movie without any of the original right. people involved. Okay, actually, yes. I want to talk about this. <laughs> Kayla? Let's get to what you've recently watched or read in the news that was very upsetting. Okay, I want to talk about this first. Apparently, whoever is in charge at Sony has a personal vendetta against me to ruin my life and cause me pain. Because instead of doing the logical, smart thing and making the girl who played with fire with Rudy Mara and Daniel Craig and with Daniel and with David Fincher. You with David Fincher. I was gonna just start over so you could cut it, but uh, that's fine. <laughs> and with David Fincher directing, they have decided to just kibosh all that. You know, you may remember in 2011, it, it, I will say this, it didn't do as well as they thought it was gonna do, but by that I mean it didn't make back double the budget and they're ridiculous. Yeah. But uh, you may remember The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the movie that was nominated for several Academy Awards. Uh, the only reason Rooney Mara didn't win Best Actress is because Meryl Streep phoned in some bullshit biopic performance. Um, uh, they released a clothing line through H&M. Lots of things. Lots of critical acclaim. Lots of Oscar buzz. Lots of actual results and awards and just general, hey, this is an amazing movie. So what they decided to do was be like, you know what? Fuck all that. What if instead of making a sequel and getting the like the right people, we just got rid of everything and took the ghost written cash grab bullshit novel that came out last year and we made a movie out of that? Well, Kayla, to be fair, the actors and directors wanted money. Yeah. Okay, there are <laughs> Academy Award nominated slash winning slash James Bond. If any of yeah. you follow me on Twitter. You may have seen the... At Kayla Sananju. Kayla Sananju. Sananju. The uh, vicious, hurt, angry rant that I went on upon discovering this news. This one? This... Which rant? This one? Okay, which one? (laughs) Shut up. Uh, Okay, so to clarify, the, the Millennium Trilogy is very special to me, and Lisbeth Salander is a character that I identify with and feel very strongly about. And I don't give a shit what all these nerds 
think because all of you are just saying that the Swedish version is better because it's a foreign language film when in reality it was literally a made-for-TV movie series (laughs) and is not nearly as good as the David Fincher version. But I digress. No, you never digress. (laughs) I feel very strongly about this and I have been languishing waiting for sequel news. I've seen it. She's languished. Tyler and I went and saw that movie Midnight, opening day, uh, survived getting pulled over on the way there. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, the movie broke halfway through, and yep. we had to wait 10 minutes for someone to go notify an attendant because nobody was paying attention. No. Got two free ticket vouchers, and you- Sony I, was actually running the movie that night. It's. I swear to God, they're literally out to get me. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, so we got two free movie vouchers, which I think we both actually used to go see that movie again. <laughs> yes, we did. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, it's, like, a yearly ritual for me. I watch that every winter when it starts snowing. Like, it is one of my favorite movies. It is a masterfully done performance by everyone involved. And I just cannot imagine who the fuck is in charge at Sony that thinks they should just get rid of all of that and do something completely different that wasn't even written by the original author of the novels. And that is how I feel about that. (laughs) (laughs) Very angry, in summary. Very, Very angry. So anyway, uh, unless you have anything to add to that. (laughs) You've said it all. (laughs) I agree. The only silver lining is that apparently Alicia Vikander is in talks to be Elizabeth. But fuck that, Rooney Mara overall. Sorry. Sorry. I really love Alicia Vikander. No, she's Princess Tiger Lily now. We are not talking about that. How (laughs) dare you come to my podcast and attack me in this manner. Breaking up of all movies. All roles. But the the pirates sing uh, like Blink Street Bop and uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit as their sea shanties. You're fired again. Uh, Nobody had to acknowledge that that happened. I didn't see that movie. I didn't didn't either. We could have talked about Carol, which is, you know, Rooney Mara is going to get another fucking Academy Award nomination for uh, because she's amazing. We're just going to talk about that instead. But I don't want okay. Anyway, that's off topic because we haven't seen that because it's not available to the general public yet. Um <laughs> Tyler, <laughs> did you have any closing points about the travesty being visited upon us by Sony? Well, I agree, and not only because you are currently threatening me with a giant knife. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, she wasn't meaning to threaten me. She's been waving around this whole time, as she does every podcast. <laughs> she just has a giant knife at the ready. It's just gotten way close to my face this time than usual. Dangerous. But I agree. And not for that reason, because <laughs> I, agree, I, I, I... No, Tyler, I, okay, mm-hmm. to be fair, uh, Tyler and I both are huge fans of this movie and of this series, and maybe he doesn't feel as strongly as I do. I feel strongly. Yeah. I feel very strongly. As we know, I, I feel with the white hot I gave up a hope. Sons. I gave up hope long ago. That's the difference between us. I gave up hope. I mean... You kept hope i pretty much gave up hope but there was like no, a part you clearly of me. still dream look okay there was you a had, thing. you 
During the Sony email leaks, there were emails between Rooney Mara and whatever the fuck her name is that runs Sony right now. Amy Pascal is not running Sony anymore. Okay, well, she was before all of this shit happened. She is not running Sony anymore. <laughs> so there were emails between the two of them about possibly resurrecting the series. And so I was given a smidge of false hope before Sony brutally, torturously crushed it slowly and without care for my heart or feelings or life. But uh, anyway, to be fair, I think they legitimately do not care about you as they do not know that you exist. (laughs) Oh, no, this is is personal. I can tell. No, I agree. This is a personal attack on her because the two amazing Spider-Man movies were a personal attack on me. (laughs) Sony has it out for me and Phil. Okay, we're down three, four wormholes at this point. (laughs) Kayla. Anyway, go on. The thing that I have actually watched this week, uh, (laughs) I have started watching the anime series Death Note, which I have about almost 10 years too late to. In my younger years, I was huge weeb trash and spent way too much time being obsessed with anime and manga and all of that stuff. So because I was also a cool special snowflake at the time, I avoided Death Note because everybody liked Death Note. And now that I'm watching it, I'm enjoying it a lot, and I know that Phil and I feel differently about this. Do you want to know why everyone likes Death Note? Why? Because Death Note is trash, and anime is trash (laughs) and garbage. Oh, it's so terrible. I hate that show. (laughs) Phil and I have watched anime together, like, for the reference, like, Uh so we're all aware. But yeah, I am really enjoying the pacing of it, and I enjoy that it's a show that goes from being a slightly uncomfortable moral gray ground to a buddy cop thing back to not even back to moral gray ground back to holy shit this guy is evil and i feel ill it's very much a three-act tragedy i think Mm -hmm. so i haven't quite finished it yet i probably will finish it within the next two days and i can talk about it again next week but yeah so far i'm really liking it sorry phil garbage i think (laughs) you're not actually sorry i think that the character i think that the characters are interesting i do want to say that apparently everybody who watches this show hates the female character misa but i really like her and i think everybody's wrong so that's pretty much all i have watched i did finish attack on titan and i'm now salivating for more of attack on titan but that is because you love bad feelings yeah okay that show okay i do want to say god no (laughs) that show this isn't what i wanted (laughs) that show has no chill yes you've said those exact words everybody is dying all the time repeating yourself again yes it's terrible yes and i hate it okay but i also love it Uh uh-huh anyway so moving on because i am clearly being motioned off by tyler and his (laughs) dogs who sit in on all of our podcasts well you kept throwing that knife at me so (laughs) tyler what have you been watching this week i've watched a lot of things but i'm gonna narrow it down i'm not gonna talk about the circle i'm not gonna talk about z for zechariah uh, I'm not going to talk about other random things. Uh, the Parks and Rec rewatch is back in effect. But on Halloween, I began my day as anyone should, which is if you haven't seen a John Carpenter movie, you should fix that on Halloween or as soon as possible. But in that case, Halloween was as soon as possible. I watched The Fog. Uh, fortunately, it has been long enough since that terrible remake that I have forgotten just about everything about it. <laughs> so The Fog brings... Basically anything you would like about a John Carpenter movie. The horror, the suspense, the music, the Jamie Lee Curtis. It has all the fixings. I do enjoy that it is 
I, I, I enjoy low stakes horror movies in a way where mm. there it is this almost undefeatable evil, but it's only trying to kill six people. It's a curse on a whole yeah. town, but they only need to kill six people and then it's okay. So, you know, it's not as bad as it could be. But I John Carpenter is a master of what he does, both musically and in his films. And like honestly, if there's a John Carpenter movie you haven't seen, with exception of The Ward, which I also haven't seen, but is apparently a rich it was not a return to form, like we hope. <laughs> but you should anybody should who enjoys horror movies, especially uh the people who have kind of influenced and created horror that the way it is today, should definitely check out John Carpenter movies, which that is not a revolutionary saying. It is just the way life is. <laughs> I also watched The Final Girls. It's a 2015 horror comedy that has gotten a lot of buzz among horror aficionados. It is, well, the IMDb summary is a young woman grieving the loss of her mother, a, favorite, a famous scream queen of the 1980s, finds herself pulled into the world of her mom's most famous movie. Reunited, the woman must fight off the film's maniacal killer. So basically what happens is our lead, Thaisa Farmiga, is her um she goes to see a movie with a bunch of other a bunch of her friends and a large group of people. I'm trying specifically not to give too much away here. Starring her mother. Mm-hmm. It's from the eighties. It's like a camp classic. It's like if we want to see like reanimator, except it's a slasher. Oh, I do want to say there is a bad movie called Final Girl starring Abigail Breslin. Don't watch that. This is the Final Girls. Yes. Uh, some stuff happens and they get sucked into the movie. It's ridiculous, but the whole movie is kind of over the top and really funny. Uh, it features a number of familiar faces in smaller roles. Mal- uh, Thais Formica, Malin Ackerman, but also Aaliyah Shawkat, Thomas Middleditch, Adam Devine who is 32 years old and still playing high schoolers. I was making fun of Leah Shawcat for playing, still playing high schoolers. And then I realized how old Adam Devine is. Is he older than her? Hey, yeah. It works, it works. She's like 27. He's 32. Interesting. Yeah. Well, wasn't uh, Rachel McAdams 32 when she was Regina George in Mean Girls? I Probably. think she was a little bit younger than that. She was definitely a older little bit younger, but she was like, she was like almost 30. It's like actually very, really, very close. Yeah, see, this is why so many teenagers have so many body image issues is because they think they should look like a fully grown adult in high school. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, Malin Ackerman is also in her mid-30s, but she has to play her character in the 80s, but also in like 2015. Mm-hmm. So she has to be able to look super young and super middle-aged, I guess, by Hollywood yeah. standards because she... Does not look like a middle-aged mother. Malin Ackerman is so hot. Like, I would never, ever relegate her. Like, her scenes in Watchmen are good. She is ridiculously beautiful. Yes, thank you. (laughs) But... This it's a it's a very delightful movie about this young woman coming to terms with the loss of her mother and just that's the most emotional resonance you get. There's some other stuff, but mostly it's jokes, some horror, but then Taisa Formiga and Malin Ackerman and their interactions and them coming to terms with things and horror fans going, ah, they know what that trope is and they're going to subvert it. That's so fun. <laughs> it wasn't quite, it, it had been built up so much 
in my mind, the, the things I've read on the internet, that it didn't quite live up to it. But it is a very fun movie that I feel is worth giving some time, especially if you're into the horror comedy stuff. Yeah. It, it doesn't. It's not as good as your Shaun of the Deads or anything like that, but few True. things are. So I really shouldn't blame it for True. that. But that is. Those are the two most uh, noteworthy things that I have watched recently. And now to get into something that is also among our favorite things ever that we're huge fans of, that is another in a long line of great, great film. We watched V for Vendetta this week. This week we watched V for Vendetta, the 2006 film directed by James McTagg. McTagg? McTagg. I don't remember. It's probably McTagg, but I written. I think it's McTagg. But written by the Wachowski siblings. Mm-hmm. It uh, was originally set to debut November 4th, 2015. You know, right before remember, remember the 5th of November. But then it got moved to the totally irrelevant date of March 17th, 2006. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a March theatrical Oh, yeah. Release. It was. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they blamed a couple of different things. Some people suspected it had something to do with the, uh, the tube bombings in London in July. Mm-hmm. That was denied by the filmmakers who said it was because of produ- post-production. Others guessed that it was because of the similarities to The Legend of Zorro, which also came out around that original release date. It probably is some semblance of all three. Also, the fact that if you release a movie in March and it's even halfway decent, it'll make more money than it would if you released it in award season. It was a very successful movie and obviously has many ramifications today. It made $70 million in domestic box office and about $62 million in the foreign box office. About $130 million total on a $50 million budget that doesn't include marketing, but still roundly a success. Uh, it actually underperformed in the foreign box office compared to what they thought. It didn't even debut at number one in Britain, despite the fact that this movie takes place in, in Britain. Britain. Which I will touch on. The movie has an 8.2 on IMDb. It's got a 73 Rotten Tomatoes score, and it's a 62 on Metacritic. That doesn't... Those sites all have a number of different scores, but it's basically considered a relatively good movie by the types of people who vote on these websites. Yeah. No shots fired at those people. Just no. the people but who vote on movie websites tend to like this movie. It, people, they aren't me. Even, <laughs> even to this day, every 5th of November, you will see stuff on social media dealing with Guy Fawkes masks or saying, hey, it's the 5th of November. Let's talk about political stuff. Sub- and that is... Um, probably one of the better legacies of this movie. I remember this movie pretty well in my mind. Revisiting it, it is not as cool as I thought it was. Phil, why don't you lead us off? What do you think of V for Vendetta? I fucking hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we, 
you were asking me you're you're asking me like yeah you were asking me like hey we should do we're gonna do a movie what would you like to watch i'm like the fifth of november is coming up let's just get this thing out of the way (laughs) and because you know last time we did spirited away and i love that movie but it's nice to also talk about a movie you hate or a bar or yeah yeah we can yeah we can say that it's uh i don't like this movie I, I I mean, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, what, I would have been 15, 16, 15? Yeah, 15. That so is. I was like, oh, gung-ho about it. I'm like, this is so cool. And I never revisited it until, like, this past time. But I remembered enough of it to, like, as I matured and grew up and, like, learned a little bit about, like movies and storytelling and just realized this is not that good of a movie so i never wanted to rewatch it and this was a good excuse and you're welcome oh yeah thank you because it reaffirmed all my beliefs that this movie is terrible there i don't think there are very many if any redeeming qualities about it honestly i i got really bored watching it and I was complaining the whole time to myself and Twitter, like, why am I doing this? Why do I watch this? This is terrible. <laughs> like, and, uh, Why do my friends hate uh, me? Why did they make me do this? <laughs> right. But, yeah, I, I, won't, I won't go forever and ever, but uh, I don't like this movie. Kayla, what do you think of Eva Vendetta? Okay, so I want to preface this again with a similar thing that I said about The Prestige in that when I was a teenager and I watched this movie, I thought it was literally the coolest and most amazing subversive piece okay. of the film. The Prestige holds up better than this movie does. Yes. 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 But it was kind of viewed in that same time frame. So... Shutter Island, same thing. Those 2006, 2007 movies. I really liked this movie at the time. And I wouldn't necessarily... I don't think I hate this movie. I think this movie's fine, honestly. It's It's not like... Yeah, for me, I don't actively hate the movie. Most of my issues with it come from the complete disservice that it does to the source material. And I have compiled a list of talking points that we'll get into more in depth. But my main problem with it is that despite the fact that the movie is set in England and allegedly about English politics. It is not. (laughs) The Wachowskis decided that they wanted to make this movie as a piece of, I don't want to say propaganda. And it's yeah. Anti-Bush propaganda, basically. They updated it for modern times. No, here's the thing though. Okay. So the movie comes across as this, anti-conservatism anti you know it's basically a very strong anti-bush message which there there is a scene where they show a tv screen and there is a dude holding a uh uh get bush out sign yeah like blatantly obvious which does not surprise which is fine I would have no problem (laughs) with that kind of a message if I would have no problem with like I I am very strongly like liberal. I am very, very strongly against many of the policies that Bush put into place. Except for when it comes to Bush. Well, here's the thing is that if you wanted to make a movie that was anti-Bush and anti-American conservatism, do that. Do not take a movie that is actually anti-Margaret Thatcher and against fascism 
and mold it into what you think it should actually be about. Now, so we're clearly going to get into how this movie kind of butchers the source material. I do want to say I have not read the source material. So am I the only? Wait, am I the only one out of the three of us that's read the original graphic novel? I have yeah. read other Alan Moore material. I did not read this. Okay. I wanted to read it, but I had no real way of getting it. No, that's okay. Like, oh, at this time, it's not. Okay. Worth and I'm okay it. approach that, and I want to just like approach this like just as a movie for a second. Okay, fine. Which mm-hmm. I mean, there are arguments for and against taking something as a movie and whether you consider the source material and all. I feel like but. generally it's smart to regard things as separate works of art, but in a case like this, it's pretty important to examine the source material. Well, so it let's also talk depends about... like whether it's a historical thing or mm-hmm. So let's talk about thing. let's talk about the movie first and then we'll get into my entire laundry so, list of shit. So don't get me wrong. <laughs> I forgot to change my laundry. Oh well. Don't get me wrong. This movie is not great. It's not even good. I... I hesitate to say it's even fine, but as I rewatched it, I really enjoyed it as a kid, and it is, it is like gate a gateway movie to more interesting things. Like yeah. this is the movie you watch when you're 15, and you're like, "Holy God, that is crazy! That is so cool that they did that." And then you find other things that are much better examples of this and that are just much better movies themselves that are not so obvious, so lacking in subtlety, so on the nose, and so kind of brazen about what they're doing. <laughs> it's interesting the early like the early and mid-aughts takes on comic book movies. Because you get the Hulk, the Eric Bana Hulk, which tried to physically represent like comic book panels on screen. This one, I feel, did it with its sound design. It's silly, silly sound design, <laughs> where yeah. every time a dagger rips around, it's like, shing, shwa, It's like a sound effect for every time he moves his arm around with Imagine a dagger. Imagine how fun it was to be a Foley artist on this movie. <laughs> All right. For one second. Just let's it think about that. Like, that... That was a problem for the gig. And then there's the, he cuts a V. Like, a lot of this stuff you can tell came right from the graphic novel. And mm-hmm. I don't think they're innately silly. I think there are certain things that work well in a graphic novel, like cutting a V into the thing, like kissing the guy's mask. Like, those things can work in a graphic novel. But the way they are translated into this movie, it's all just kind of silly. And I, like, and I think most of the performances are pretty fine. I feel like I should hate it. For what it did to this source material. But I don't. I just can't bring myself to hate it. It's just. Mm. it's It doesn't deserve to be rem- remembered the way it does. But it yeah. does function as that gateway thing. It does function as this kind of mainstream way. We can all motivate ourselves in a way to care about political things. I do. Okay. I do want to touch on that. <laughs> I do want to touch on that a little bit. Because like again. I don't hate this movie. I just have a lot of very firm criticisms of it, but it did play, it has played an actual huge historical part in a lot of very real political protests. Yes. For instance, for instance, like the protests in Egypt a couple of years ago were by and large heavily influenced by the things that happened in this movie. And I would never want to discredit that influence because that's really important. Like that's a very real life thing that happened that maybe couldn't have happened without somebody having seen this movie. So while it might not be my favorite movie, I think it's important to realize that from a fairly safe middle class 
white point of view that we all have, like we kind of have the advantage of being able to look at it critically and see it for what it is. Whereas people who are at less of an advantage could see this as a very real rallying cry. And I would never want to take away that aspect of the film. True. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> Do it again. I just, it's just, it's fun with the, the white middle class kids. Who See, are, okay, well, here's the problem is that the white middle class rally kids who it. rally around the movie are also a huge part of the problem. Uh-huh. I mean, granted, there is some good stuff done because of it in that aspect, too, but, but, but. still. What cost? <laughs> I, I don't like how much praise it gets. So, yeah, the thing with V for Vendetta is that it has this very, like, like white middle class masculine fan base that are so ready to misinterpret the message for their own gain. You, you mean the majority of the IMDb 250 voting group? <laughs> you mean the Christopher Nolan stands and the... Uh... You mean the reason Fight Club is one of the top five movies on the list? Or the top, top ten? It's, oh, it's like, is it in the top it's like five? Su- it's super high up there. Is that why Dark Knight Rises is on there? Because oh, that's one yeah. of the worst movies released oh, in the past yeah. decade. <laughs> that's why this movie's on the list because it appeals that's to the group true. that Votes influences for a lot of this list. Like that's yeah. just we we mentioned that a lot, but that is why this movie's on that list. It appeals to the, the Fight Club group, the Christopher Nolan group. It, it has that uh, kind of wielding of a pop sensibility fused with a faux intellectual. It's just background. subversive enough. Yeah. To appeal to everybody. It's like first wave yeah. subversion. Yes, actually. When we talk about Fight Club and when we talk about Donnie Darko, I'll go into that more. But here, uh, yeah, the main issue with V for Vendetta is that at its heart, the script is trying so hard that it kind of loses itself, in yeah. my opinion. They're trying so hard to convey these American politics through a very British framework and through a lens that as even as American liberals, I don't think we can fully understand because we did not live through Margaret Thatcher and we didn't live through half of the things that the source material is trying to talk about. Yeah. So when you erase those things and try to fit in this weird anti-Bush, anti-overly religious propaganda, it gets really weird. (laughs) Like, watch it. Like, the last time I watched this movie was before I had read the graphic novel, so I was still blissfully unaware. But looking, like, watching it again and looking back, it's impossible not to see how totally butchered it is. (laughs) And I don't know if that's, like, if you guys have any more points about the film itself, I would like to talk about that first before I, I get into this. I do actually. Um, one thing. One thing I wanted to note is there's a lack of character here, which is surprising given that this seems like something that should be more character driven because it has this very almost this mythological figure at the center of it almost. And while I did, like I said, most of the performances are good. Uh, not all, but there aren't really a whole lot of characters here. Evie is not much of a character. She is more a kind of a stand-in or a tool, <laughs> depending on one. Um, v himself, Hugo Weaving 
plays it with a certain amount of zest. It's almost like a Jack Sparrow thing at certain points. Yeah. But he doesn't have the magnetism or like the gravitas to really nail this character like I feel is either necessitated or intended. And I mean, if you don't work if those two don't work, the whole movie you know, there's only so much you can do with the other parts. Like John Hurt is perfectly villainous and some of the other Stephen Fry and Stephen Ray Roger are Allen. perfectly British. Yeah. Yeah. They're I mean, there are some solid performances in there, but I feel like the main two perform, like the main two characters, aren't solidified in the way that they need to be, and the movie suffers as a result. Well, see, that's actually really interesting because my a lot of the problem that I have with the movie is exactly that. So, in the graphic novel, V and Evie and everybody, honestly have this very real, very difficult to grasp moral ambiguity. V is not a good man in the graphic novel. And in the movie, I feel that that grayness to his character is erased to make him this crazy ideal. He's a romantic hero. Exactly. Which is not what he was meant to be in any sense. In the graphic novel, he kills innocent people left and right to make a point. He has no qualms about doing that. The only reason he saves Evie in the first place is because he happens to kind of just be there at the right time. And as far as Evie goes, she is really just this strange sounding board. Like she's very much the self insert of the movie. You could imagine yourself, regardless of your gender or whatever, you can imagine yourself being Evie and you can imagine yourself wanting to go along with this romantic good man fighting against this crazy conservative evil government. And in the reality, in the graphic novel, she's a teenage prostitute. She Mm -hmm. is out trying to solicit herself and happens to run across a couple of the fingermen who decide that they'll rape her and kill her. And V happens to be walking by and saves her. And she develops this very strange, unhealthy attraction to him. And in the end, I feel like her taking up his mantle It's her coming into herself, but when it happens in the movie, it feels not nearly as satisfying because Evie has always been a good person. She's a good person who was mistreated by the person or by the man that she was supposed to be able to trust, the man who saved her. She's mistreated by the government. She's mistreated by almost everybody. I don't know. I just feel like the whole whole movie really misses out on human complexity in a way it makes people these very it paints people with these very broad strokes of good or bad or whatever there's are you're serious she's a teenage prostitute she no yeah and that's that that right there is so much more it's so much more characterization right there just from those two adjectives like why why would you cut that? Why would you change well, that? I have a, I have a theory about this. This is what this is kind of another thing that annoys me about the movie is I feel like there is such a taboo about female sexuality and about mm-hmm. young female sexuality that it's hard for anybody to be able to come to terms with it. Aside from that, we have the reality of the fact that there are people who legitimately have to do sex work to survive. And that is so stigmatized that to portray it in any sort of positive light in a major American film production would be like automatic blacklisting, regardless of yeah. how interesting the character is. 
Yeah, because this was PG-13, right? Yeah. It's rated R. Oh, is it? It is rated R, yes. Oh, okay. Probably, okay. Well, probably more soft for, R. It's probably more yeah. for the violence than anything else. It's probably soft R. Hmm. Hmm. They, probably, they probably were trying to get it more PG-13, honestly. But yeah, so my issue really is that I feel like every character kind of has their agency removed from them. They do not have the power to make the hard decisions that they would make in the graphic novel. And I especially feel that Evie as a character is done the greatest disservice by completely changing her age, her demeanor, her backstory, everything. Like, I'm almost 100% positive her parents are not radicals in the graphic novel. I can't remember 100%. But, like, she doesn't really have a stake in this fight the way they make it seem like she does in the movie. She's legitimately just a kid in the wrong place at the wrong time who gets swept up in what I would frankly call an abusive relationship with a crazy psychopathic man hell bent on getting rid of a government that he doesn't really understand. Yeah. There's, I mean, the the graphic novel is all about the gray area. It's, it's not this bad thing being taken down by this good thing or even this less bad thing. It's anarchism versus fascism. It's, it's like Warcraft in that neither uh, side is right or wrong. It's just a, a portrayal of these two sides God, opposing each other. Check out that callback. Holy yeah. shit. So, I'm going uh, <laughs> to take a back seat now. You two take it from here. I, uh, v, okay. v is the orcs. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so that's the whole thing. Like In the graphic novel, literally most of the government are just like these angry people having affairs with each other and doubting each other and lying to each other. So, so the like gov- a regular government. Yeah, so the government in the graphic novel is not this all-powerful, like, conservative entity that is capable of just finding you and murdering you at will. It's very much a flawed, weird, uncomfortable thing because Adam Sutler, who is Adam Susan in the graphic novel, is actually co-ruling with a supercomputer which is called capital F fate <laughs> because subtlety. I can't believe they cut that out. Yeah. So uh, no, Oh, it gets better. Oh, it gets oh. so much better. Adam Susan is using this supercomputer to help him decide what to do with his government and is also weirdly sexually in love with it. So I don't really fault them. For... I think John Hurt could have pulled that off. I don't I don't yeah. fault them for cutting that. I'm going to be completely honest. But it does add a dimension of weirdness to the character. Because in the movie, he's very much just like, I am Hitler. against. I'm yeah, Hitler. he's literally Hitler. He's like, Hitler. he's literally Butch yeah. Hitler hybrid. Sutler. Sutler, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's subtle Hitler, except not as subtle. subtle. <laughs> it's literally they have like a fucking parade with flags and shit like he's hitler the symbol yeah. is like black and red and with sharp angle yeah yep and, and he's at a podium yeah so, his and, fists oh. and shouting like. yeah. he's got dark hair huh? yeah. kind of has a weird facial hair yeah uh-huh. he's old He's, He's a man. Yeah, you know, actually, that reminds me. So other than, like, the erasure of the moral ambiguity of V and E.V. and Sutler and everybody, there's also the very interesting case of Gordon. 
Gordon, as you may remember in the film, is the guy that writes the sketch and then gets murdered for having a Quran. Because, you know, I'm, I'm we really needed a hammer to the face against Islamophobia in the year 2006. I'm, I'm also, like, confused by how total- overtly totalitarian that government was. And he was oh. like, no, we'll just get a fine. Yeah, we'll I just get a fine. And it's like, people are dying. Like, like there, there was a studio head somewhere who was like, no. You, no. can't, you can't do that. <laughs> like, so, so yeah. So in the movie, we have Stephen Fry as Gordon, as this like gay Quran art loving man who just wants to fight the government in whatever way he can. Yeah, in the novel, he's not gay. He takes Evie in after she escapes from V the first time and commences to have a very sexual, weird relationship with her. He's a fucking creep, and. They basically, I can see Stephen Fry doing that. Oh, absolutely. No, they butchered his character specifically to get that hammer to the face. How dare you? They were just like, guys, if Bush stays president, gay people and Muslims will die like Stephen Fry. You can only feel bad about this if it's a relatable British gay man. We have to save Stephen Fry. Yeah. So, save like, Stephen in Fry. the book, he's a fucking scumbag. Like, honestly, fuck Gordon. And so, just to, like, see him revamped as this holy martyr who dies for art and religious freedom is like particularly stinging i guess is the word i would use like it feels like a direct punch to the gut (laughs) it's it's so rough because i I would totally i i'm gonna love this graphic novel when i finally get around i know i'm really yeah i feel really bad that you have probably avoided it all of these years specifically because of the movie yeah (laughs) So Alan Moore specifically did not have his name on this because he's Alan Moore. Of course he didn't. Alan Moore wants... He knew. Alan Moore wants the kind of control Fincher has, except, like, troubled, which Alan Moore should not work in movies. But when you consider that the first few movies made from Alan Moore things were, like, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, (laughs) V for Vendetta, it's like, you know what? I can't totally blame Alan Moore for not wanting his name on these things. Yeah. You know, I'm actually really interested in that because I know Alan, it's pretty well publicized how much Alan Moore hated this adaptation, but the illustrator for the comic loved it. Yeah. So I'm very curious as to like outside of the mind of the author, how badly everybody missed the point of the original graphic novel. Right. (laughs) I'm pretty sure Alan Moore laments like, most of the people who like his things because they mm-hmm. don't get it the way he wants them to get it. Which mm-hmm. he is allowed to do. So I feel like there's a, a certain line where kind of art belongs to its consumers. Like we talk about this in music a lot where you're allowed to interpret lyrics or music as you will. And the artist just kind of has to accept that because everybody feels differently about that kind of thing. But when you get to novels and written actual bound work, it becomes more of this interesting area where it's like, well, I thought about it this way and clearly everybody else interprets it completely differently. So I just wonder how many authors feel like they maybe got their own work wrong or how many people it takes to misinterpret something. yeah. Like, how many people misinterpret something and make it mean something completely different than originally intended? And at what, like, how do you decide which is the true version? 
well, because I mean, I, Alan Moore I'm, is it, one person. Yeah, you know. But, uh, see, I'd argue though that that the idea coming from that one person's head is the. It, that's that's the thought. Like, if other people interpret it differently, his thought is still the original. If nobody takes it that way, then he did a poor job putting his idea out there. I guess, yeah, that's kind I of mean, what I'm trying to get at. I mean, to be fair, but, the Wachowski's rendering of his vision, that's, that's two yeah. people's rendering of his vision with the influence of studio heads who would obviously want to uh, PG it up a little more to make yeah. it more likable for other audiences. So I don't feel like the acceptance of the the interpretation of the v for vendetta movie should be that indicative of the v for vendetta novel true true because a small group of people changed it in a way to make it more commodified and more acceptable to a larger amount of people Mm -hmm. so it's i feel like that's a different thing than a director directed an original movie and people interpreted differently than what he wanted or anticipated i guess that's yeah i guess that's kind of a pretty deep topic to come out like what is the heart and soul of art but uh it's it's, (laughs) money mostly i know but like this movie is particularly baffling to me because i feel like it has the weirdest most rabid misunderstanding fan base of all time which i know that phil wanted to talk about yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I, How, I don't even know where to begin. Let's I just, get, yeah, I say let's get into that a little bit because holy shit! I've been on the <laughs> internet. I've been on the internet for a long time. I've been on the internet my whole life. <laughs> and so let I me mean, tell I mean, you a thing about the internet. So long time, and I've been in places on the internet that you should not go. <laughs> and Taylor I've met, Swift, I know and places. Oh yeah. my god. Oh god. And I've met a lot of people or talked to a lot of people who are of the the mindset that this is the God among movies and we should all take this as our leading charge against the government and not at all understanding that you can't just put a mask on and go cut people up and what call that like that's vigilantism. That's what the movie Super was all about and. We, I mean, I hope you guys have seen that because it's incredible. Uh, but I, have. I, I actually haven't seen that, but it's better. It's so good. I think I own that. We'll watch but, that. <laughs> yeah, you should watch that. But Tyler it, has it's seen it. like it's it's vigilantism, and it's just like you can't do that and expect things to just work out. Like there is a way to fight back against injustices, and taking things into your own hands and just going and killing and blowing things up is not the way to do it. That's terrorism. (laughs) (laughs) And that's bad, but it's, it's just, it's so hard. It's so hard to see all these people hailing this movie as so like, follow this, follow this, this is great. And just like knowing that, you're wrong like that's wrong you shouldn't do it that way i'm not saying that you're wrong in wanting change just in the way you're trying to go about change it's wrong well and and the movie is not a good i mean there's nuance to getting change to happen and this movie's not good with nuance as we know so (laughs) it's like in in my notes four lines in a row i have something something 
Because subtlety. (laughs) (laughs) Throw your child's picture in the trash. Because subtlety. Subtlety. Raise your arms to the sky (laughs) in the pouring rain because subtlety. You know, I think that's really interesting about the face. in perfect shadow because subtlety. I think a really interesting thing to point out about the fan base of this movie, though, is the sheer hypocrisy. Because all of these, like, 4chan dude bros want to talk about overthrowing the government and overthrowing persecution and whatnot, but they're wearing child slave labor plastic masks from Amazon, from a sweatshop in China, and using, like, their parents' internet bill to argue on the internet about politics. I just I just have such an issue with this because it's like you want to talk about dismantling you want to talk about dismantling this government you want to talk about ending capitalism or whatever but by your very actions you are supporting capitalism you are supporting child labor you're supporting complete unethicality yeah and there's and there's a way like I I got into this argument when I worked at Taco Bell because this kid who was vegetarian and was like getting on my back he's like you're what's you're the problem you're part of the problem because you work there I'm like I only work there because I need a paycheck like there is no ethical consumption under capitalism exactly and and but there but there is a way to do it it's like you're you're trying to you know do these actions but you're actively going and purchasing these things that you don't need to survive helping this whole capitalism thing whereas like with me i was just trying to make sure that i could survive day to day yeah and it just so happened to help like there's a huge difference there with these kids buying these masks exactly like we're all we're all trapped in this like weird cycle of commodity and necessity. And it's so much more complicated than putting on a guy Fox mask and talking about taking down the government or whatever. It doesn't just happen. You again, like you said before, you can't just like blow up the parliament and overthrow the government. Like that's not how it works. Yeah. That's never how it has worked and it's never how it will work. Because I'm pretty sure they knew that that was going to happen, and they evacuated the parliament anyway. So what happened? The building got blown up. It's symbolic, sure, but all those people who were like running parliament are still alive. Like, For sure, yeah. The only people that he actively killed in the movie were the fingermen and the people who treated him poorly at the yeah. And so that's another thing. Center, that, like... that's another thing that the movie gets so wrong is that you have the on this weird vengeance vendetta quest. And if he was truly this great moral superhero, he would be directly going after the members of parliament, the government, the people that are making these bad fascist, or I guess in the movie conservative. And I guess, I don't know another thing. So Tyler brought up the raising your hands in the rain thing. (laughs) Or being reborn (laughs) in fire. A huge huge issue that i have with this movie and honestly also with the graphic novel is the way that evie is treated evie is unwittingly unwillingly dragged into this whole fucking mess mm-hmm. and charitably decides to take up this ideal of fighting against the government for different reasons in the movie and in the novel but ultimately the main like 
grand thing that happens is her overcoming this torture and being reborn in the rain. However, this entire thing is manufactured by V in both the movie and in the graphic novel. He is the one that captures her. He is the one that tortures her specifically so that he can put her in his frame of mind so that she can understand whatever shit that he went through. And so ultimately, I feel that her rebirth is not even like it's not even a rebirth it's her suffering the abuse of a complete psychopath and coming out of it and somehow still deciding that she should fight with him (laughs) so i guess i'm curious as to your thoughts on this i mean i've only seen the movie but like i said she is not much of a character movie in the movie more of a pawn who is kind of moved around and every now and then shows a little bit of initiative, but is mostly just kind of a tool who's there. Exactly. Um, and I feel it, like this whole torture rebirth scenario is the culmination of that. Yeah. Phil. I, I don't know. I, I've always been like, even the first viewing, I was kind of like, Really? And I just, I'm, it's not that I'm uncomfortable with it. It's just like, I don't know, the whole, the whole uh, Stockholm Syndrome part of it, I guess, kind of makes sense. But I just, I don't know, after a while and him just being like, oh, hi, by the way. And uh, when she walks out and like, I don't know, I would leave. I'm no, I'm extremely like, uncomfortable with it. It's not it's not a Stockholm syndrome if you don't know that it's the captor. Like and and she was actively fighting it like not eating and everything. So like it's it was never like a I've grown to trust you kind of thing. It and she even like walked out and was like you did this to me. Are you kidding me? Like But and, then, and then like immediately still, forgets about she it. Still <laughs> forgets about it and I just I I can't I can't get behind that because the most interesting and the most real kind of journey in this whole movie is Imogen Poots. And as the, as a random young British actor before she got even bigger uh, as the, uh, as the, um, the lesbian letter writer, I feel like her journey in that little montage of a few minutes feels like more character than anyone else in the entire movie. It's honestly the only genuine thing that happens in the entire movie. Yeah. For sure. Is that that in the credits, lesbian letter writer? Or is that just... (laughs) I, I just hey, I, I just knew it was Imogen Poots. I was like, oh, Imogen Poots is in this movie. We're 28 <laughs> weeks later and yeah. a number of other movies. That awkward moment. That movie. <laughs> other yeah. movies. A Long Way Down, I think, is her. So, but... yeah. So, my whole, I guess, coming back to the complete butchering of the source material and everything else, like, so much of what happens in the movie feels completely and utterly manufactured. Like, V basically plucks this random-ass girl off the street and is like, you're gonna be my protege. And then he later takes her and tortures her and ruins her and just decides that in order to be a part of his ideal world, 
she needs to experience the same things that he's experienced. When really you would think that like you would never want anybody to go through the things that you went through when being illegally detained by the fascist mm-hmm. government. <laughs> so I guess the whole like rain rebirth scene to me, when I was 15, it worked. It was mm-hmm. cool. But now with like the knowledge that I have and the studying that I've done on and the f- feminism and all of this stuff, like to me, it's just like, okay, so this guy basically abused the shit out of you and then decided that you were worthy and, like, I don't blame Evie in that scene for feeling reborn or for feeling that she understands something profound. But I 100% blame the literal crazy person who held her captive yeah. <laughs> and destroyed her life basically just so that she would feel the same way that he feels. Also, the filmmakers who really wanted to make sure you got the point and flashed back to the rebirth <laughs> of fire so that you understood... <laughs> That the same thing was like, no, no, no. Oh, yeah. See, like, it's like when he raised his arms that one time, no, no, she's no. raising her arms. Okay, she's so raising her arms. Remember? Remember? <laughs> the funniest thing is that in the trivia, it's like, V being reborn through fire symbols vengeance and anger. And Evie being reborn through water symbolizes forgiveness and understanding. And I'm like, no, because he fucking made all of that happen. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. Like, her rebirth is not real. And that's what drives me fucking crazy is because you have this amazing female character who could be so, like, she could drive the nail into the coffin of the government. And in the end, she is relegated to sending off the bomb and taking up the mask and living in the shadow of a man who really was probably clinically insane. Yeah. Isn't Isn't that the dream? Living in the shadow of a man who's clinically insane. <laughs> like, come on. Going going back to, I mean, Tyler mentioned earlier, like, the things you can do that work in a graphic novel don't always work in a movie. And I am such a champion of that. Like, I think that when you're making a video game, certain things work in that video game that wouldn't work in a movie. So you shouldn't try to make your video game a movie or vice versa. And when you have when you have a graphic novel, stills do so much more power than an actively moving scene. Like, especially, like, a 10-second scene of her in the rain holding her hands up and lightning flashes. Like, and also that's, at this point, that's a still. That's not something that should be drawn out. Like, and you can always tell. Like, you can always tell those moments, which, mm-hmm. for some people, gives them more power, and it depends on the quali- like the skillful execution of it being done to... But you can always tell those moments in the movie and that mm-hmm. it marks that moment as momentous, but it also takes you out of the movie because you're like, oh, I bet I can see that on the comic book page. I can yeah, see like, why that's effective. Um, over top of the cell and her like changing position in the cell and like him throwing the food and then her changing positions and just like fading in and out. And I'm just like, yeah, that's the page of a comic book. See, that's like, I have that issue so often with movies that started out as stage productions because I spent so much of my time being into, like, Broadway theater and plays and all, and, like, Broadway musicals and all of that stuff. So, for instance, a really good example of that is 
HBO did this miniseries called Angels in America, which is based off of a very famous Broadway play series. And it's, it's a faithful adaptation, but you can, for me anyway, for somebody who's like has studied that and has been involved in all of that, it's so easy to see which scenes were very much meant only to be on like a single set stage. Yeah. Or what kind of dialogue makes sense in a Broadway play but doesn't make sense in a movie. And that carries over with graphic novels and movies as well. Or even like books and movies. You can easily tell. Like there are lines that work when you read them in a book. And then you see the movie adaptation and they use the exact same line. And you're like, oh shit, that doesn't actually work when you say it out loud. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah, sounds like we have... We have mostly reached the conclusion of the discussion of the movie. Do we have any points on, like, maybe the actual plot or characterization or anything? Does anybody have any closing statements? My closing statement is my statement on the whole movie. It's it's bad. I think it's bad. See, yeah, for me, I don't think the movie is bad. I think that had it been an original screenplay without the weight of the graphic novel behind it, it would have been much better. Sure, yeah. And I think I'll that, agree. I think that the Wachowskis, if they had really wanted to, could have made that anti-neoconservatism, anti-Bush movie without yeah. totally butchering something else. Like, I trust them, for the most part, yeah, as directors and as writers. And so for me, this is like a huge misstep for them out of all of the weird and strange things that they've done. They're, they're, I feel like this is kind of... Aside from The Matrix, their most commercial success. And for me, it's just a total misfire. Yeah. And that's... And The the Matrix has been completely taken, misinterpreted as well. So <laughs> take that as you will. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like they just have this, like, real grand idea in their heads at all times that never quite translates to screen or to paper. Yes. I do also want to mention, it's interesting going back and watching these mid-2000s movies on the list... How much that there is a look for that time. Because when you watch this movie, you think, I thought, like, I thought Pirates of the Caribbean, Sin City, even the bits that look like The Legend of Zorro and things like that, or or Shutter Island. It, like, even looks like Shutter Island at some points. It's just interesting being the age we are and when we grew up, uh, just kind of looking back and being able to see, like, there is a look to the middle of that decade. Oh, yeah. The major motion pictures made in that decade. It's just kind of fascinating. I think it's weird because, like, when you're a kid, well, not like a kid, but like when you're a teenager, you're kind of caught up in the grandiose of everything that's happening on screen or on page or whatever. And you don't really notice that, yeah, in 10 years, I'm going to think this is dated because as young people, I think we're so often caught up in, like, this is the ultimate, this is the best. Like, we are always going to feel this way and we are never going to yeah. feel any differently. Well, even just the cameras yeah. used and the, the cinematography and the way things look, there's a certain, almost like a comic darkness to it. It's yeah. To explain. I think no, that's I, indicative I, I get of what so you're many. Saying. Yeah, I think that's indicative of a lot of the movies from that era, though. It was yeah. before comic book movies were really taken seriously. It's before and, they were done well. Yeah, well, it was <laughs> before like, that. Genre it, movies in general, too. I feel like now the standard for good movie is so much higher than it used to be. Oh, and yeah. I, but I also feel like we're so oversaturated with adaptations. Adaptations and, like, 
true stories and biopics and all of these things that we kind of have grown past whatever they were trying to achieve in the mid 2000s or like even the late 90s like I think we're just we're just over whatever was happening then and at the time it seemed like it was the greatest and most advanced amazing thing ever but now it's kind of just it's this mediocre misstep yeah it's not going to be like pacific rim which will live on forever obviously (laughs) (laughs) i'm like i like stand alone over here and i I don't (laughs) so on that note let us (laughs) you know like pacific rim i understand (laughs) i can i can understand all right Uh, i'm not gonna let tyler betray me again (laughs) on that note let us transition away from tyler eternally betraying me and into phil which movie would you recommend as a follow-up to watching V for Vendetta? As a follow-up? Nothing. Yes. <laughs> a follow-up? No, you shouldn't okay, watch anything I'm sorry. after this. Your recommendations um, slightly tangentially related to the uh, movie. Well, I mean, I I gotta. I mean, if you want to watch a good Wachowski movie, I I I'd be remiss in not recommending Speed Racer. I mean, Speed Racer. I don't want to. I don't want to recommend Speed Racer here because it's not. It's just so good. You can't. I can't recommend such a good movie with this piece of trash. So plus, I did a racing movie last time <laughs> with Redline. So I think what I'm gonna go with, and it's not a movie, but it's in keeping with uh, the season that we're in right now or leaving, I guess. You should watch the miniseries Over the Garden Wall because it is one of my favorite things in the world right now. And I love it. It's 10 episodes at 15 minutes a piece. It is gorgeous animation and such a good story and excellent characters and just so creepy. And I just, I love it. If you've ever seen stills or, or like gifts from the show, it's just, it's so good. And the beast is awesome and i just i love i love that show so i recommend over the garden wall the cartoon network miniseries i was not at all expecting that recommendation so thank you for that that was really good (laughs) have you seen it yet i watched the first episode but then we did not have cable anymore so Ah, okay i will have to find another if you do come for thanksgiving we will watch the whole thing perfect okay so yeah uh my recommendation Funny enough, I picked this recommendation because I was like, oh, Natalie Portman is in this. Um, I was wrong. So anybody who is who's in it? Keira Knightley, <laughs> who you may remember as the person who started out her career basically as being confused for Natalie Portman. But anyway, so the movie is called Domino, and it is this very interesting Richard Kelly reinterpretation of the life of the actual model Domino, who I believe met an untimely death. But in the film, it turns out that in this strange post-apocalyptic world where a model joins a mercenary crew, um, she is some sort of strange prophesied savior. And while the movie itself has been fairly critically panned, I honestly love this movie and think that it is incredibly interesting and super fun if you're in the right state of mind. And yeah, it just is Kira Knightley being super hot, super badass, and prophetically amazing. So if you get a chance, uh, I would watch Domino. And 
think about how it succeeds in all the ways that V for Vendetta fails. Tyler, what is your recommended movie for this week? Well, I feel like I'm taking the easy way out, but I am recommending another dark movie based on a comic book tale that deals with a, a damaged man who is wreaking vengeance for how he has been wronged. And that's The Crow. Oh, now, I thought it was Batman. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Batman, alas. Batman. <laughs> Although it could be Batman. It could be Batman. Another creature Batman. On, on the wing. Kayla, you are not Batman. <laughs> creature on the Batman. Wing. I'm Batman. <laughs> I'm Batman. Kayla, you excuse me, blank for But a part, <laughs> another reason I am recommending this is because it's been on my mind. I recently uh, listened to the episode... Uh, about Bruce and Brandon Lee from the podcast You Must Remember This. I feel like I mentioned it before, and I mentioned I mentioned it a lot because it is an incredible podcast about film history. It is a podcast that spans many, many decades of film history, from the days of silent film echoing into getting into the 20th century. Um, it has it had an episode on the you know the short lives and tragic deaths of Bruce. And Brandon Lee. I just listened to that the other day, and so I already had The Crow on the mind. And then we watched this movie, which, I mean, the way I tie them together is kind of tenuous, but it's another dark, cultish movie about a man wreaking vengeance for the wrongs done to him. It's just in that case, it is more of a personal endeavor. In the case of V for Vendetta, it's more of a societal endeavor. But. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, there are connections to be made there. And The Crow is, or at least feels like a much better movie, at least a more significant movie. Then again, then again, even though The Crow is the more uh, the more well-accepted cult movie, V for Vendetta has had the bigger cultural impact. So I don't, I don't know which one wins out there. Kayla, what is your trivia? Fun trivia for this week. The domino scene where V tips over the black and red dominoes to form the giant letter V involved 22,000 dominoes, and it took four professional domino assemblers 200 hours to set it up mm-hmm. for that super V money shot. Specially made dominoes, too. Yeah. yeah. You can't just get black-rimmed red dominoes everywhere, you know? Uh-huh. Which really makes me think, like, what was V, like, the character in the movie? Fuck. Where did like, he get those what from? What the fuck was he doing that he had 200 hours to set that shit up also, just to knock it over? This is another case of the rich man being the one who rise, who is able to help the poor people rise up and fight the government. But that's, yeah. we already missed our opportunity to talk Neither about Neither here the, nor there. About the, uh, <laughs> the uh, societal implications of such a thing. My stat of the week about the IMDb, uh, being that this is a comic book adaptation, I wanted to talk a bit about comic book adaptations. Uh, there are seven of them that I could find on the IMDb Top 250. And you time. may notice that one of them involves our man of the hour, most favorite, most beautiful, Chris Evans. In uh, I thought you were going to say John Goodman. No, no, no. Chris Evans uh, in the Avengers. I'm just let her go. And the most wonderful, precious, beautiful snowflake angel, Steve Rogers. Just slash give Cap- it time. <laughs> slash Captain America. It'll be over soon. I- <laughs> 
She can only go on for so long about him. I just wanted to throw that in there so that we had that in this mm-hmm. week's podcast. Yeah. Can I just say that I went over to my parents' house like a weekend ago? And, uh, and Chris Evans watching... was there? No, they were watching Fanta- the original Fantastic Four movie. Oh, no, we don't talk uh, about okay, that. Oh my God. And, and, my, and I sat down and I was like, I still, it's so weird seeing Captain America in this. And my dad was like, that is him. What? How did that happen? I was like, because he was really good in this. And then they wanted him to be something else because <laughs> this movie was terrible. <laughs> yes, it was. And we do not but. speak of it. Because Chris Evans is better than him. Anyway, Tyler, continue with your stat that. about the comic book movies in the IMDb Top 250. Why bother? <laughs> is there a point, Kayla? No, please continue. I'm sorry. I just had to fit that in there. I just... I don't... Chris Evans' corner. Ba-da-ba. Just gonna... Just gonna lie here. Just... If I lay here... If I just lay. Oh my god! Okay, that was the only thing wor- that could be worse than Chris Evans' corner. The only thing. W- and just forget. Anyways, Chris other comic book movies on the IMDb 250 include the uh, 250 favorites, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Blah. All Ugh, three of them. All bad. Well, I don't agree with Rough. that. That is <laughs> no. preposterous. Wow, wow, okay. Can, okay. can I continue with my stat of the week, <laughs> so before you it. rudely interrupt my podcast? <laughs> Go for it. Besides the Christopher Nolan movies of varying degrees of quality, there is also the Avengers film. Which, yeah! I swear to God. There's also Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm, I saw it seven times in theaters, yeah. so I'm kind of done with it. <laughs> And Me for Vendetta, but also Sin City, which also oh. fits into that mid two thousands comic dark. It it, I, it fits in quite nicely with. I didn't like. I've Sin never City. seen Sin City. We'll talk Sin City at a certain point, but that is mm-hmm. that'll be for another day. But yeah, it's mostly Batman movies, a couple Marvel movies, probably the ones you'd expect, and then V for Vendetta and Sin City. So the... But no Captain America Winter Soldier, oh my God. which really, uh, what the fuck? Hang on. Iron Man 3 is better than Winter Soldier. Holy shit. Oh I'm sorry. God. Okay. Iron Man Bill, 3 is the I'm best I'm so Marvel sorry. Bill. Oh my God. <laughs> Iron Man 3 have... is the this best This can't Marvel happen right now. This can't <laughs> happen. You have just destroyed no. our I'm not friendship. joking. You I'm not just, joking. You have soiled our friendship garden. You have ruined the podcast. I stand by this. How dare you? I stand by this. How dare you? Oh my god. <laughs> Someone please help me. End this oh, yeah. suffering. Anyway, uh, so Kyle is apparently not here to help us no. stay on track. Uh, so this has been your podcast. It was Let nice knowing you. <laughs> Bill is forever banned for the rest of time. Uh, uh, if you are at all trying to get a hold of us and wish to speak to us, nope. you can contact. <laughs> Why would they? <laughs> Why? Yeah, don't talk to me. Why I have bad taste in movies. Speak with you people. You can contact us at ltrfipod at gmail.com. Probably a more fun, direct, and interactive way to get a hold of us would be LTRFIPod on Twitter, which is where we do most of our silly, fun activities. 
You can like us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash let the right films in. We are, again, incredibly grateful to the people that have liked us there thus far. We would love to see more of you. If not, that's also fine. You can always find us on SoundCloud and iTunes and on your favorite podcast apps such as Stitcher and Podbay. Or the one I just got on my brand new phone, Pocket Casts. I subscribe to our own podcast on there because I am a shameless shill. (laughs) Whatever. So, yeah, uh, you can do that if you would be so willing and so gracious as to review us positively on iTunes. We would be eternally grateful. And it would be gracious of you after what just occurred. <laughs> I yeah, mean, look, don't take my opinions everything. into their podcast. I mean, I just, you know, I'm just me. I thought I was hosting a podcast, but. <laughs> so, yes. Clearly you, not. You can find us there. I have been joined by my roommate and faithful cohort, but who probably is going to strangle me as soon as this is over, Tyler Hannon. I can't believe I'm even producing this as we, we speak. We have been blessed to have the guest. Ooh, that rhymed. We have been blessed by the presence of Phil Meyer, wrongly opinioned, but mostly beautiful human being who is one of my greatest friends. So thank you, Phil, for being on. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it was fun. So we will see you next week when we will be doing a very interesting episode because Tyler is going to be in New York. So we will be attempting to record a bonus. That's how far I had to run to get away from this. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just, I needed to get away. So instead of doing a top 250 movie, we will be doing a short bonus episode, which we may or may not record over the phone. (laughs) So apologies in advance for the possibly spotty sound quality. We're not sure what movie we're going to do yet. This is what she apologizes for. Do Bring It On or Josie and the Pussycats. (laughs) We do not know what movie we're going to do yet, but it will be me and Tyler in a shorter but fun format. And yeah, so we will see you next week. Hopefully, after all that has happened. And remember, Jurassic World is a terrible movie and always will be. It's a bad movie. Shay? It's younger Jeezy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Phil. Have you ever, have you ever followed Shay Serrano on Twitter? Mm-mm. Okay, he talks about sports and rap, which are two things I normally don't give a shit about, but he's super funny and he has a dog called Younger Jeezy. Oh god. And it's amazing. <laughs> he just posted a picture of him with like a Lego piece and it goes, Oh my god, younger Jeezy ate Ant Man. This is a real tragedy. <laughs> His younger Jeezy tweets are the bread of my life. <clears throat> and you should follow him. He's hilarious. I might have to. I did just knock my follower account down or my following count down. Shay Serrano me. is a hundred percent worth a follow. Yeah. Oh my god, that's the dog. Yes. Did you see it? Yes. <laughs> He's so cute. 
He always does like younger Jeezy versus etc. posts. <laughs> younger Jeezy versus his bad winner bed, followed by a cute picture of younger Jeezy lying next to, not even touching the bed. <laughs> My favorite was younger Jeezy is really good at getting tacos in the morning, and it was just younger Jeezy sleeping next to some tacos. 